Matthew 1.18. Now when the birth of Jesus, or the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 2.1. Now, after Jesus was born. I want you to say those words with me. After. Come on, everybody. After Jesus was born. That's important. In Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I apologize in advance that as I speak, my voice is a little gruff. Yes, I've been tested several times. I am negative. Just want you to know. Amen. But usually my voice is way down here. Today it's way down here. We've all heard the poem by Clement C. Moore entitled, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Today I want to speak from the subject, Twas the Day after Christmas. Now, after Jesus was born, the scripture says, Father, would you speak a word to us this morning that will direct us into this new year in the footsteps that you have ordered that we should take? For therein lies the blessing and the favor of God that none of us want to live without. And we ask it in Jesus' name for your glory. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. It was the day after Christmas. As I said, we're all familiar with the words of the old poem. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. That poem was written in 1822 by Clement Moore, a scholar of divinity, a minister, and a professor at a seminary. The poem is written, and we talk about in the poem, the night before Christmas. It also mentions Christmas Day. But then, what of the day after Christmas? I'll explain what I mean in a moment. I've said throughout this Christmas holiday season, I love Christmas. And that's not because of gifts I might receive either. Like most adults, if I need something and it isn't too expensive, I get on the computer and order it from Amazon. I don't wait for a birthday, don't wait for Christmas. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. That's pretty much probably the way it is with Many of you that are here. And by the way, I hope you got what you wanted for Christmas. Anybody get what they wanted for Christmas? Amen. Good. Good. Amen. I'm reminded that Santa was at the shopping mall one day when he was very surprised to see a young lady named Emily, aged about 35, walk up to him and jump up on his lap and sit down. Now, we all know that Santa usually doesn't take requests from adults, right? But she smiled very nicely at him. So he asked her, my dear, what do you want for Christmas? 
And she says, something for my mother, please. And so Santa was touched by that and said, something for your mother. That's very loving and thoughtful of you. What would you like for me to bring your mother for Christmas? And batting her eyes, Emily said, a son-in-law. I don't know if that was on your Christmas list or not. But I do like the fact that at Christmas time, things are kinder, more gentle. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Folk will let you in traffic. They'll hold a door open for you. They'll greet at you. Rest of the year, oh my goodness, these last two years have been rough. Let me be open and frank. There has been so much hostility Division, anger, people blow up over anything on your news, your libel. And like I say, I just read the news on an app, but every once in a while, one of these videos comes across and there are people fighting in Walmart over a pair of shoes or something like that. Like, gee, is that really worth it? Fighting over traffic places. I love the story of the elderly lady who was waiting to turn and park at the mall. And she was waiting for the car coming toward her to get by first. And there was another car right behind it driven by a young lady. Forgive me, ladies. I'm not picking on you all this morning. But driven by a young lady. And before the old lady could move into the parking place, the young lady floorboarded her car, whipped into the parking place, got out with a flip of her head, walked by the old lady and said, that's what happens when you're young and fast. And the old lady backed up, put her car in reverse and then put it in forward and slammed into the back of the little sports car. And while the horrified young lady ran up and said, oh my God, what have you done? The old lady smiled sweetly and said, that's what happens when you're old and rich. (laughs) Amen. But I love the fact that at this time of the year, people are more gentle. They're more kind. You can actually tell they're smiling by looking at the crinkles in the corners of their eyes. Isn't that amazing? And you know, part of this is because I think we're giving. I think just getting in that mood of giving does something to you that makes you begin to reflect more of what Christ is about. It really is more blessed to give than it is to receive. But the truth is, is that Christmas season turns our attention toward God in a way that no other holiday perhaps does. Certainly not the 4th of July, George Washington's birthday, Veterans Day, Labor Day, Memorial Day. All of those are great. Thank God for the sacrifices of our veterans. But this time of the year, Jesus seems to more, be more central in our thoughts and in our hearts. And I love that. It's almost like Christmas is a kind of international reset button that God has created To kind of help turn people back toward the things that matter, back toward him. It happens all around the world. Many of you don't realize it though, but Christmas isn't actually over in most of the world. Although the actual day is, not disputing that. But how many of you have heard of Boxing Day? Could I see your hands? 
One, two, three, three, four, five, six. I'm counting for a reason. Hold them up. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15 people in this whole building. First service, there were three. And all three of the ones who raised their hands were from Africa. Boxing Day. Amen. Ray's family is here. I miss her so much. Boxing Day is celebrated as part of the Christmas holiday season. It's not disconnected from it. I don't know if you know this or not, but Boxing Day is something that occurs in those nations that were primarily connected to the British Commonwealth. And so it's a part of Christmas in the UK and in Commonwealth countries, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Greenland, Denmark, the Netherlands, Fiji, Belize, China, the biggest nation in the world, Hong Kong, they all celebrate Boxing Day. Boxing Day is also observed throughout much of the Caribbean. You go to the islands, Yaman. They know what Boxing Day is. Go to Africa. Boxing Day is celebrated all over Africa. It is considered to be a national holiday in all these different countries for several reasons. And let me show you why. Number one, historically, it became a holiday for a very good reason. They used to take what they call Christmas boxes. And you're wondering if Boxing Day is pugilistics. No, it's not. They took Christmas boxes and they labeled them Christmas boxes. And they set them out. And you know what they would do? They would collect items for people who were underprivileged. And they would give away things. People drop money into it. Clothes, toys. They would even put food that they hadn't eaten on the big feast the day before. And all of the poorer people of the community could come. And they would celebrate Boxing Day. It was about helping people. Here at Inspire, we don't have a Boxing Day, but we helped literally hundreds of kids this year and gave gifts to hundreds of children. We gave away food and turkeys and we gave away so much stuff to help people have a happy holiday season. Thanksgiving, we gave away turkeys as well. This year, we gave many thousands of dollars to help families devastated by hurricanes in Homer, Louisiana and that whole region. And it still looks like a bomb went off over there. We gave many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars, not thousands, hundreds of thousands to help our missionaries get through this past year. COVID was hard on the United States, but it devastated the economies of many African and Asian nations. One of my dearest friends, Bishop Tudor Bismarck, told me their budget was impacted and they lost 95% of their budget. Did you hear what I said? 95% of their budget in one year. How do you survive that? And we've tried to help mitigate those losses. And all because of you, because you care, because you want to help others, We've been able to be there to minister to people. So we have at least kept the spirit of Boxing Day alive and trying to help those who need help. But then something happened and Boxing Day morphed into 
a different kind of day. Because I ask all over Africa now. And, and you know what they tell me when I ask what Boxing Day is now? They say, oh, that's the day when you get rid of all of the trash and the wrapping paper from wrapping the gifts. And many of us, well, we've been busy doing that. Some of us have like, I've got a big family. I told the crowd yesterday and the, the, the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services were great. But I told the crowd yesterday, we're doing our support, our part to fulfill the Genesis 1 mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. I've got two kids and seven grandkids and four great grandkids and another on the way. The herd clan is increasing. Amen. And we had a ton of paper, stuff to get rid of. And probably like you, that all has to be disposed of. But still for others, Boxing Day even morphed into something different from that. It became... It became the day when everyone would box up their decorations and the ornaments and, and they would put away the lights and the stockings and the displays in the, law, the yard on the lawn. After Christmas, getting rid of all the stuff, putting it up till next year, putting it away in cardboard boxes, put it in the garage or up in the attic. But also Boxing Day, and you ladies will recognize this, The day after Christmas is known for what? Sales. I was on the way to church this morning, seriously. And I got an email from Saxall Fifth Avenue. 20 to 70% off everything. Or whatever it was they were sent. I didn't look at it. 20 to 70% off. So we went from Boxing Day being a day to help others to a day to get rid of the debris of Christmas and leftover food and trash to putting up the, the decorations and, and the ornaments and the lawn displays to sales. And we can go spend some more money. And somehow I wonder if something else hasn't been going on. Seeing how fast things come and go in the average news cycle where today what is newsworthy is forgotten by 24 hours later. I wonder if we have come to live such fast-paced lives that we must be careful to keep what we have experienced this Christmas alive in our hearts. As your pastor for 34 years, we'll soon be 35. I can tell you that we've never had a Christmas season that I feel like the spirituality has pegged this high. And I wonder if somehow we're going to have to guard against what happens after Christmas. Because on the day after Christmas, the temptation is to go back to life as normal because life goes on, right? And the scripture says that after Jesus was born, that is, life continues the next day following Christmas and the day after that and the week after that. But here's what I want you to notice, that it was after Christmas when the wise men came to worship Christ. That's what our text says. I know. We have all these nativity scenes that we've seen from the time we were that tall, the picture of the wise men worshiping with camels and Jesus being a baby in a manger and shepherds there 
were their flocks. But what we're not told is that's not the way it happened. The shepherds were there when Jesus was born. Yes, that's true. They came. They were only out in the fields as Andrew preached so marvelously last Sunday. And the angels choir appears. Glory to God in the highest. And they're informed of the birth of the baby Jesus. So all they have to do is just go across the street almost. And there's the baby Jesus. But now it's not Christmas morning. And neither is it today. What happens after Christmas? I know with the shepherds, they had to go back to their flocks. But the wise men, it took them a lot longer to get there than the shepherds who could literally just go across the field and enter the town. And they didn't stop their journey just because Christmas was over. They were pursuing something. We're told that it took between four to six months for them to travel across the harsh deserts to reach Jerusalem. That is if they were traveling by camel caravan. And I've been in that part of the world. And I've seen camel caravans. I've spent a lot of time there. And they plod slowly across the sand to conserve their strength and to save water because there isn't much to be found there. They don't move quickly. So four to six months, if the wise men were on camels, you know what that means? It was even longer if they were on foot. There's no documentation in scriptures that that says they came with camels. They could have been walking And then they had to find their way to Jerusalem. And from there, the five and a half miles to go to Bethlehem. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 says this. And when they had come into the house. Did you catch that? That's one of the first clues. Jesus is not in a manger anymore. By the time the wise men get there, Joseph is in a house. And then it says they saw the young child. And there's a second clue for you to notice. He wasn't a newborn babe wrapped in swaddling clothes with Mary, his mother. And the Bible says they fell down and worshiped him. And that is so key to me this morning. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They arrived well after The original Christmas morning was over, but months later they were still filled with enough joy and wonder of what had happened that first advent that they wanted to go find him. They were on a journey to seek after him. They wanted to look until they had a chance to be where he was and they wanted to worship him after Christmas was over. They wanted to go and honor him. Months later, after Christmas is well behind them in the rearview mirror, they're still trudging daily toward Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem to find and worship the Christ. And do you know what I pray for you? I pray that your pursuit of our Lord 
will not just last through this Christmas season to be swallowed up in the events of a new year as it unfolds. I pray that your pursuit of our Lord will last all of the way through the year 2022. Indeed, I pray that it will be the pursuit of your lifetime. I'm going to read you my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul writes these words. There are many people that believe that Paul came from wealth. Some even think he could have been the rich young ruler that came to Christ. Forgive me. But it's almost certain that he was married at some point in his life. Oh, I know, I got it. He talks about not being married, but there are sources that indicate that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And one of the laws was that to fulfill that position, you had to be married. And there are even some who say, whether it's right or not, I don't know. You can ask him when we get to heaven. But what they say is this, that he was actually married to the daughter of the high priest. And when he had a conversion experience on the road to Damascus. It so radically changed his life that she left him. True or not, I don't know. But I know this. He came from privilege. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest scholars that existed in that day. They claimed that he earned the equivalent of two PhDs by the time he was 22. smart connected they laid the garments at his feet when they were killing Stephen he had position but this is what he writes Philippians 3 but what things were gained to me these I have counted loss for Christ I, I'm sorry. If you, you, this is as good as it's going to get. If you need to leave, I'll understand. I'm just overwhelmed this morning. He says, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And he said, you want to know how much I love him? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
I want to be able to see the dead raised and sick healed and miracles happen. I want to know him in resurrection power. But that's not all. He said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm willing to walk with him right in the middle of his pain. Not a sunshine Christian. I'm not going to serve him just because I've got blessings. That have been given to me because I became a child of God. He said, I want to be conformed to his death. And do you realize the profundity of that statement? He's saying, I not only want to know you, Lord, in the good times. But I'm willing to walk with you in suffering and say, let me identify with the pain that you have experienced. Christmas is over. It's officially the day after Christmas now. Boxing day. So what does that mean? You're putting up the trash. You're getting the decorations together to slide them up into the attic. But what we have to be careful about is that we don't put Jesus away until next year when we feel the warm fuzzies all over again. So I want to help you keep Christ meaningful in your life. Throughout the year 2022, how do you focus on Jesus day in and day out? Number one, make it a priority. There might need to be some things rearranged and some of the stuff that's got number one written on it might ought to be number three or four. And you have to be honest enough to be able to assess where you are in life and what matters to you. And look, anybody, anybody, anybody can follow you for 24 hours and figure out what matters most to you. So you ought to be able to do the same thing. Because you live with yourself every single day like I do. But you know what one of the most difficult things in life to do is? is to be self-aware. Self-assess. We all believe, if asked, that God is our highest priority. Every one of us, if we're asked, will say the same thing. Yes, yes, of course. But what I'm asking, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I don't mean to make you heavy with conviction. That's not what I'm doing. I want to help you know what I have found and what others in this building have found. And it's worth whatever you have to do To be able to discover it. But I'm asking you. Is Jesus really your highest priority? Matthew 22 verse 34 through 38. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. Let me set up this for you to see Pharisees, Sadducees, two different religious groups. Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in miracles. They don't even believe that God answers prayer. 
That's the Sadducees. Pharisees, on the other hand, believe in resurrection. They believe in angels. They believe God can do miracles. They just refuse to believe that Jesus was doing them. Accused him of doing miracles by the prince of devils. And so they're asking him questions in a heated debate. And there are attorneys there. Attorneys. And these guys have been trained. They will, they will trap you with, with trick questions. They will paint you into a corner and ask you about this. And you reveal this little bit of information You don't realize it's connected to this over here. And now they've got you. And Jesus adroitly sidesteps all of the landmines. And he shuts the Sadducees up. And the Pharisees send one of their top attorneys. And he asked him a question, testing him. Saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? They want Jesus to commit himself, then they want to lop the limb off behind him. And Jesus looked at the man and said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. They didn't know how to answer. And God really does call us to put him first. Oh, I know that in this this hour in time of mediocre Christianity where everything else is first and we say we're Christians, but what we really mean is that's what we identify with as a social group to whom we belong. I'm asking you, can you let God speak to you on this morning after Christmas? Because out there in the desert, still trudging across the heated sands, months after Christmas morning, there are several bedraggled wise men, the worst for wear because of their travel. And they show up when everybody else has gone back to business as usual and say, we want to worship him. Thank God for people that still want to worship months later. God help us to have hearts like that. Daily, I ask God to help me love him with every part of my being. I pray this. Why not? I pray, God, help me love you with all of my heart down to the smallest fraction of an atom with inside of me. If you cut me open, God, I want one thing to come out. I want it to be I love you with all of my being. The morning after Christmas, we have decisions to make. Do we box Jesus up too? put him in the attic till next year and go back to life as normal. That's not what you want to do. And you want to be like wise men. Make pursuing him your priority. And number two, number two, get this one. Be deliberate and intentional about what you do. Be deliberate and intentional. This perhaps more than anything else has made the biggest difference in my life personally. I'm serious. If you want to know what I've learned in all of these years of of walking with God, I'm going to tell you right up front. I'll make a mistake every once in a while in citing a scripture. Please don't charge me for that. I'm human like everybody else. 
I'll slip up. I'm not perfect. This is flesh. But I've learned a few things over these years. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that if you can be deliberate and intentional in making room for him in your life, there is an accumulative effect that I am experiencing right now that I did not enjoy when I was younger. Let me explain. The angel shows up at Cornelius' house and says, your prayers have come up as a memorial before God. All of those daily prayers cause God to show up one day in Cornelius' house. You see, there will be a dozen things to get in the way of you having devotions every morning. And when I say be deliberate and be intentional, how can I do that, Pastor? Have devotional time that nothing is allowed to interfere with or make you forget from day to day. Jerry will tell you, nothing interferes with my devotional time. I'm not perfect. I've just learned during the years. And I like me so much better like I am now than the me that allowed his devotional time to be robbed. I'm not going back to that guy. Not I like my relationship with God so much more now than I did the guy that existed back then. You say, well, don't things happen in the course of your life to interfere with your devotional time? Well, of course they do. Of course. But if they're not tier one emergencies, they do not interfere with my devotional time. Now, I'm a pastor, so I want to put your feelings At ease, if there is an emergency and I get the call, I respond. And then when I get done, I go look at my schedule and say, all of this stuff gets moved. Because I have to have my time with God. I need to spend some time with him. You say, but pastor, you don't understand. We work out here on a nine to five. Hey, you're looking at somebody that's been there and done it. And had to try to build a ministry at the same time. So don't ever feel that I'll ignore your emergency. But if I can just be very, very honest with you. I'm not leaving my devotional time for every little call that I get. Because I need to talk to him. And what I want you to understand is he waits for me. On those mornings. And if I start my morning with him. He spends the day with me. Amen. Make it a priority. Then be deliberate and intentional. And could I say this number three. And I'm done really. Just two more. And it only take me a moment. Make it personal. That is pursue God. Even if others don't. You see, too many of us, we're like the thermometer. 
We reflect the temperature of what's going on around us when God really wants us to be a thermostat and change the environment that we're in. And so if we're around people going to retreat, there are people that are pursuing God, we pursue God. But then when that's over, it's back to business and life as usual. And what I'm challenging you to do is this coming year, be like the wise men who months after Jesus was born were still trudging across the desert. Make pursuing Christ your lifestyle. Pursue God even if others don't. Make it personal. Let this be the one thing that you do, whether anybody else joins in with you or not. And you say, how, pastor, can you help me get started on that? Yeah, I'd be delighted to. There are many, many daily devotionals online and they're free. You can pull them up. I write one every day. They're going to put the number up on the screen in a few minutes. And if you will text join to that number or go to the QR code, I write a daily devotional that every day of the entire year. And you can begin the day with the rest of believers reading the same verses, the same scriptures, singing the same worship songs. There are many of them out there. If you don't like mine, try Rick Warren's, this purpose-driven life daily devotional. There are devotionals for men. There are devotionals for women. There are devotionals for teenagers. There are devotionals for children. There is not a reason that any one of us should not have a well-developed devotional life. And then this final point, bring the family with you. Make it a family affair. Make it a priority, be deliberate and intentional. Make it personal, but also make it a family affair. Joshua was 85 years old, it is believed. When in Joshua 24, the closing chapter of the book he wrote, He told Israel these words. I don't know what you're going to do. I'm paraphrasing. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. Here's a good challenge for you. Here's a good challenge for you. Instead of trying to be like the parents of the neighbors on the block who go to church and leave their kids home, why don't you say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You say, well, I don't want them to think I'm a bad parent. They won't in 10 years. They're going to go to you and ask you for help in getting their kids off drugs. If Joshua was 85, it means his... He had kids that were at least 40 years of age. How do you tell a grown child 40 years of age what he's going to do? You never let them know that they have any choice other than to do what you said. Come on, help me out. Amen. I still tell my kids what to do. 
Amen. I'll still correct them. I'm say, I'll say, I'm your daddy. I get to do this. It's my prerogative and my privilege. Yeah, but dad, I'm grown. John's 52. Rochelle might be in this service. Is she? Before I tell her age, I'm looking around. If you're not, if you don't wave, I'm going to, I'm going to say it. She's 50. Now, if you tell her I said that, I'll tell her you lied. They misunderstood me. There was something that happened to the sound system. Yeah. Amen. But I'll still tell my kids. And they're grown. You be in the house of God. You put God first. You raise your kids in the house of God. Amen. And you know what I pray for you? I pray you have happened to you what happened to me about four weeks ago. Five weeks ago. Rochelle called me. And she had tears in her voice. You hear the emotion. She said, Dad, I just want to thank you for raising us to love God. Would you stand with me, please? She said, I want to thank you for teaching us to love the Lord. mother, I don't know why it comes back to me now, had a placard. Oh, she didn't have much art in the old house, the old form house, but she had a little sign on the wall and it said, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. So get rid of all the paper, put up the decorations, Help people who need help. Don't put Jesus away on Boxing Day. Every head is bowed. I'd like to see the hands of those who are here who need Christ in their life. Would you raise your hands wherever you may be? God bless you. God bless you, dear lady. Continue to raise them. God bless you. God bless you, dear lady. God bless you. Hands raised across the building. Father, I pray for these. And if you're watching at home, I pray for you. If you need Jesus, just raise your hand right there in your living room. Father, save these and write their name in the book of life. Forgive us of every sin. We come to you trusting in the goodness of God. Because we have no righteousness of our own and we can't earn salvation. But Lord, what we do want is to know you. We want to know you more than anything else. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we declare by 
the promises of your word because we've put our trust in you. But today our life is headed in a different direction. Would you welcome everyone that prayed that prayer as they begin their first steps in the family of God? Come on, let me hear you. Come on, let's have a party. Somebody lift up your voice. Hallelujah. 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 We welcome you. The thought occurs to me because every once in a while I run into somebody that will bring this up. People will say, but I'm saved. What do you mean no Christ? Don't forget who wrote that. That was a man who was considered to be the chief apostle. And yet he's still saying that I may know him. Because once you taste of what God has to give, you will never be satisfied again. Amen. So I invite you to join us in this pursuit. And could I ask you to bow your head one more time? How many of you would like to see God establish a really strong devotional life in your future? Would you raise your hand right where you're at? People make New Year's resolutions. Well, this will help inform your New Year's resolutions. Just a word about New Year's resolutions. All these folk make all these promises. They're going to go to the gym and lose 50 pounds, right? You know the best time to own a gym is January, February through mid-March. Because then you can't find a machine. But after mid-March, you can shoot a shotgun and not hit anybody in the place. So this is not about... New Year's resolutions. It's about with your hands raised. Lord, help me to establish a devotional life that is meaningful. And I pray that for you, beloved. I pray that for every one of you. I pray that in 2022, God will be so real to you. That your life will never be the same. I pray that you will have God encounters. I pray that God will visit you in dreams. I pray that God will anoint you. I pray that you will become an instrument in the hand of God. I pray for your family, that your family will love God. That your children will rise up and call you blessed. That they will love you, Dad, because you showed them the right way. I pray for your marriage to be strong. I pray for your finances to be increased. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you. And give you peace. I love you more than words can say. Thank you for letting me be your pastor another year. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus name.